0: welcome to aperture we're in conversation with the people thinking and doing things differently if you like the podcast please check out our other content on aperturehub.co Welcome to the Aperture podcast. So for this one, we're at Fintech Talents and we're talking network effects. And so we just did a panel on network effects, which we're gonna basically continue and, and but have the chance to go a bit deeper on some of the themes. So I'm here with Dr. Oliver Prill, CEO of Tide, uh, which is a UK challenger bank focused on the SME space, which I thought had got to 100,000 customers, but I'm told is already at 120,000 customers exponential we'll come back to how it's growing exponentially in a second um, here with Martin McCann who is CEO of TradeLedger a system intelligence for lending Are you comfortable with that yes, yes. Um, system intelligence for lending which boasts customers in the UK, Hong Kong, Australia including several of the world's largest trade banks and also Evgenia Plotnikova partner at Dawn Capital a London-based VC firm with numerous investments in fintech including iZettle, Sonovate and SODA, a business pay and spend management platform. So, the premise of this conversation is that sustainable competitive advantage in, in any connected industry has moved from, from supply side economies of scale to demand side economies of scale. As, as consumers have become connected and and as computing has become ubiquitous, there's this ability now to, to use that information flow to create network effects. And so in each of your businesses so we're going to start this won't help the listeners but we're going to go uh, left to right here so each of your businesses could you talk about the kinds of network effects that you're seeking and um and i'm getting uh, in in your case the network effects you're seeking is a vc plus the network effects um that you look for in the companies you invest in so martin we'll we'll start with you please
1: yeah. so uh, TradeLedger is, uh, is a lend tech business, we provide a white-labeled uh, lending platform to, uh, to, to banks and to non-bank lenders as well, anybody who provides a credit service of any type to, uh, to a business. And, and where the market is today is basically we're providing lending automation capabilities both on the origination and on the loan processing uh, side of the, the equation to the uh, suppliers of credit to the marketplace trying to bridge the £1.2 trillion uh, global gap in, in working and growth capital for businesses around the world by working with banks who can scale as opposed to trying to be another alternate lenders uh, ourselves. And one of the reasons is to do with scalability and I guess the inflection point in the industry which leads to potential for network effects moving forward. The core problem that, uh, that we have is, is data. So there's, there's not very good data on particularly smaller businesses uh, and the the problem that causes for, uh, I guess, the two sides of the network, the, the the supplier of credit and the consumer of credit, the business, is there's a lack of trust and convenience. Uh, so on the convenience side, it takes on average 90 days to from first application for credit to first drawdown, 30 hours of work. That's not very convenient in the modern digital age. On the lending side. Uh, the, the banks actually can't get hold of enough data in order to uh, correctly assess the creditworthiness easily of, of the SME. So if you can solve those two problems using the same data, then there's lots of ways you can add value uh, outside of just that sort of, uh, I guess, inline sort of
0: value creation and delivery sort of providing. So just, um, just to clarify, right, so what you're saying is that the banks already have SME customers, so you're not you're not linking the supply side the, and and uh, of to, to so you're not linking the banks with the with the with the SMEs. What you're doing is using data or creating data network effects to enable them to service those SMEs better. Yeah.
1: Right? So the, the 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 problem is is the, the quality of the data that that actually there, there is no network of quality data between financial service providers generally and SMEs in particular. Uh, even with larger companies, it tends to be proprietary networks. So what we're essentially trying to do is is create a a, a network of quality data that provides the potential for innovation, uh, potentially innovation in ways that we don't know in terms of services which can be built on top of that data. But the problem we're solving initially is is that convenience and trust problem of both sides of the network. Okay.
0: Evgenia, right? So so same question to you. So are are you seeking network effects within the VC business Um, and are they even possible? And then secondly, I think you're, you're principally a B2B. Investor, right? So, what kind of network effects do you look for in the businesses in which you invest?
2: So me start maybe with the, with the second question first. Um, so as, as we kind of discussed a little bit during the pa- panel, what we'd like to distinguish uh, with, within our business is, is three things, uh, network effects themselves, and the virality factor, and, and economies of scale. So with, um, uh, with network effects, uh, it, 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 the positive ones, it's about adding incremental value to the product every time the usage increases uh, by adding an additional user. Uh, with virality, it's more around um, just, just the shared distribution and every incremental user increases the adoption of the product. And then with, uh, finally, with uh, economies of scale, it, it's more around the, the reduction in the marginal cost. So as you become of critical math and grow into a bigger behemoth, um, you can, you can drive, uh, drive the economics and um, decrease, decrease your cost basis uh, effectively. So I'd argue that within, uh, within our, our business, all three can be extraordinarily valuable. Uh, with one of our largest exits, which is Izettle, which sold to PayPal for over two billion dollars, I don't think there were significant network effects. This is a business where, you know, if if you're if you're a merchant who. Has uh, has a point of sale dongle. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that the next uh, merchant will get bigger benefit out of it. Uh, there might be distribution um, uh, challenge or distribution acceleration through that virality factor or on a scale. But I don't quite think the network effect was there. So, you know, in, in my view, you can actually create significant um, uh, businesses without having network so, effects.
0: Is that so? Was it was that a payment scheme or was it a card acquirer, uh, What was uh, it?
2: A, a point of, point of sale payment solution. So mobile mobile sale. Mobile um, so, payments. So, so, so you you could uh, you know. Uh, from from a from an asylum perspective, you know, uh, if, if you were kind of using a MasterCard product or Visa product, then, then yes, absolutely, yeah. as a user of that, uh, the more it gets accepted everywhere, the better it is for you. But from a merchant um, having the dongle, it doesn't necessarily yeah. matter okay. whether the other hairdresser has it or, or not. Sure. Uh, and it became obviously a very very big business. Um, I think what we see in terms of specifically network effects is uh, perhaps more um, uh, more what Martin was talking about is in a lot of our B2B businesses, the tends to be about data, so within within software, yeah, be it on the credit scoring side as an example, or collecting user user data to make a more valuable uh, product ultimately. Um, and, and to your first question, um, I do think we actually have a little bit of network effects within our own fund. Uh, so we are we are focused funds, we do B2B only, B2B software and B2B FinTech. So as we continue to scale and every portfolio company joins Dawn family and we, we partner with them. They can benefit from the collective knowledge that has been assembled through over half a century of board seats that we have accumulated between all of us. Um, there's certain commonality in customers that tend to multiply. Certain commonality in channel partners and distributors. And so, you know, arguably, I think by being a focus, we see, we experience a little bit of those networks.
0: And do you think that's the single biggest thing that differentiates one VC from another, which is how strong those network effects are that they can plug? Uh, it, it, it
2: can be, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of our, our, my esteemed uh, colleagues and friends uh, take a different approach, being being generalists, and, and uh, a lot of them have done fantastically well yeah. uh, in the market. It's just the route that, that we have chosen. Uh, we I, I think that being focused and being specialist allows us to offer uh, better, more tailored help to, to the founders that we're privileged to partner with.
0: Oliver, what kind of network effects is tide seeking, and the fact that you've gone from 100,000 customers to 120,000 customers in the space of weeks would suggest that they're kicking in. So what what are those network effects that are kicking in?
2: Yeah, so maybe
3: first of all, just <laughs> to finish up on the VC, I would actually buy into the notion that with VCs, focused VCs, their are network effects. The three you would VC, or you wouldn't? The three VCs that I've yep. really, since I've been CEO, really pushed, uh, you know, Anthemus, Augmentum and SBI, are all fintech specific. and. This may be different in other interests, but given that FinTech has a lot of specialities around it, it is actually a lot easier if you, you know, if you are able to leverage the network of it. And indeed, you and I met at one of those, Anthemus, at a great offsite where we talked about network effects in, yep. uh, in FinTech. Anyway, so just to say, absolutely endorse that. Now, Tide, what Tide is, Tide is effectively a platform. We say we are in business bank, but really we are a horizontal layer that spans anything that a business would refer to as admin and finance, right? So it's anything from payments to credits uh, to uh, deposits, but also uh, payroll, expense management, invoicing. Basically what we consider the operating layer of an SME, not the application layer. So we would never go in and try to tell a how to run a restaurant or something like that. But we want to be the go-to place for anything of their finance and admin needs. And fundamentally, what we are trying to do with this, the problem we're trying to solve, that a small business, 5.7 million out of the 5.9, don't have a formalized finance function, which basically means they spend 48 days a year basically doing finance and admin, which is either the owner, even if they've got more staff, there's usually one trusted lieutenant that basically does it, and it presents a huge opportunity cost. So really, when we started out, our mission, and it remains, is to essentially save entrepreneurs, businesses, small businesses, time. So they can get on with what they love, which is really running their business and having a bit of spare time. And what we do is we orchestrate across, in the platform, we orchestrate across all these different solutions. So in general, we do not manufacture the core product. We work with lending providers and we only basically self-manufacture if, there is, if it's trivial, like invoicing, if it's, uh, um, uh, there is no provider, or you can't do it optimally. Right? For the rest of it, we're there. Now, network effects, really, we ventured into uh, because we saw them naturally occurring. And we see two sorts of network effects. One is, I think, technically called two-sided platform network effects. So the more members we've got, every incremental member, effectively provides a further incentive for product partners to come on because we've got more product richness, you know, more providers. And conversely, the more product partners we have on, right, attracts more and more members. So that's it, although I would fundamentally agree much of what we have seen so far is virality and uh, scale economies rather than networks. But we see that effect coming. The second one is essentially data network effect. So let me just explain what, how we look at it. Having lots of data, how we started off, the platform generates a lot of data, and with that data we pass it on. That itself does not generate network effects. We believe it generates network effects if exactly the incremental user adds to that. And that's really primarily in our world done through machine learning. So we invest a lot in data science and machine learning to basically do all non-simplistic decision making. So these are credit decisions where we do eligibility scoring. This is about you know, what we call our internal ad network, where we basically expose the right products to the right customers. Every time you can't make a simplistic uh, decision, we deploy machine learning, and machine learning gets better the more uh, uh, you know, data points you get from different users because the models become whack.
0: And do you use those data network effects to underpin the two-sided net- network, so that you can better match customers with services? Or is audio- yeah, so
3: our rule actually is, a lot of what we do actually comes, we're learning about the network effects as we go. We didn't design yeah. the business around yeah. it. So our notion was, we believe simplistic decision-making is one of the reasons why businesses are underserved. We said everything that needs non-simple heuristic decision-making, whether it's on the supply or the demand side, doesn't matter we deploy machine learning and so we actually have our machine learning is a utility that gets applied to different parts of the business so it's anything from better targeting of marketing better eligibility scoring better internal marketing if you want the old school like one platform CIM, right um, your old school language it's all of these points and it doesn't matter and it just happens to get better the more data points we've got right and the more richness around from different users of data we've got rather than uh, us having designed the business around.
0: So, one one of the questions that asked on the panel, which I want to go into a bit more detail now, is this idea of internalizing and externalizing network effects. So, are you familiar with that Bill Gates line where he said, somebody said to him, what's the difference between an aggregator and a platform? And he said, a platform delivers more value to the network than it takes for itself. And I think that's also another could be another way of like framing that question I asked earlier, which is when you externalize the network effects, you you're sharing the network effects with the network in a way that enables them to to you know to have to have some control over pricing, for example, if it's a if it's a marketplace concept, and contrast that with somebody like Uber, which very much sort of commoditizes the supply uh, side of the marketplace by by you know not allowing the supply to differentiate itself, charge different prices, because you know when you call a, when you call a driver, you know, you just call a driver. You don't have any choice, whether it's your favourite driver, a driver you've had before, somebody, you know, who's who has different characteristics, like might have really good chat or whatever. But it's so so my question and, and the and the literature sort of says that the the platform business model or those or those networks that Externalize network effects tend to be much more durable, much more um, uh, long standing, sustainable. So, in your businesses, do you think about that contrast between externalizing and internal network effects, and where do you, where do you stand on it? So, um, maybe Martin again. Good.
1: Yeah, so I, I think uh, our market is so nascent that it's, it's hard to know what the steady state model is going to look like. And I think we're probably five years away from anybody having a successful steady state model, which could be called a platform model uh, in what we do. Uh, so we're trying to start with the basics of how do we actually create uh, a and How do we ca- create standardization of data between what will become a two-sided network? Uh, because it's basically the consumerization of, of, of business banking uh, and trade. That's, that's, that's kind of the, the way we, we, we see it. Uh, and right now there's nothing there. And I don't think that we've even started to imagine what the the types of value-add services could look like if if the data was there because nobody's had the data before. So you you, you, you can't be too prescriptive on what that looks like. So I kind of think what we're doing a little bit like what what Google's done uh, with uh, searching the the, the internet. Uh, At that point in time, when, when Google was adding value, uh, who knew that it was going to decimate the entire uh, advertising industry back in, uh, like, in sort of the late 90s and early 2000s? But, but that's that's what's ended up happening. Uh, but that's that's come because they've managed to get scale. They effectively created a monopoly on on internet search and organising uh, the internet's information. So if you take that concept and look at trade data, uh, we're we're in a similar, uh, I guess, point in time where there there's the combinations and permutations of of trade processes and trade data is is so large that it just can't be standardized. But the technology is there today to think of interoperability and normalization of data uh, that runs across those different uh, connection points and the ability to create uh, connections much more simply than you did previously. That's a platform that's getting created today. And there's lots of different approaches uh, to that happening. So if you look at all of the banks, all of the trade banks, have invested in at least half a dozen consortia. A lot of them are DLDT and blockchain uh, based. Uh, A lot of them are not. Um, And they believe that that, that's going to be a platform to standardize uh, uh, trade data. They're not. There's no reason for corporates to join those services. It doesn't solve the convenience and and trust problem that I I mentioned earlier. Um, So there's going to be a different solution, which is more organic and less prescriptive in, in our view. Um, We look at it as like we're trying to create the platform. Uh, We've got a view as to how we create short-term value, which is basically we charge the banks for the efficiencies created by having digital data and automation of lending, back office, and uh, the efficiencies in terms of the cost of origination. There's a very clear business model to do that. What we don't know yet is what is the opportunity uh, for creating value uh, for the corporates on the other side of that model and how we can charge for that and what types of services then can be created by the participants who sit on top of that network and how do we deliver the, the data services, the new data services which actually create that value and how we charge for it. My view is we're going to be looking more at internal versus external but other players uh, will have the opportunity to create that external uh, business model based on the plumbing of the platform that we're providing.
0: So it's, you'd argue it's in- you're internalizing to externalize, if that's not a contradiction in terms.
1: Yeah, so we're, we're internalizing, but I think other people who sit on our platform can externalize. So uh, it's, it's too big a problem for, for, for anybody to solve. So we're trying to do the bit that we know how to do really well, which is, is to organize the data services and provide them so that other people can create other business models on top of that.
3: Maybe just to build on it, let me give you give a perspective. We come at the thing a little bit, not only from network effects, whether we internal, but also diversity. So SMEs are very diverse. So let me give you an example of accounting, right? I just have one product vertical on it. We've taken a deliberate decision not to limit the number of accounting systems that we put, or that we connect to the Tide platform. So we've got zero, we got, we're just launching QuickBooks. We have five or six that you can do on it, and we call these Tide Connect. So, in a way, we externalize it. At the same level, the problem with too much externalization we realized is 50% of all SMEs don't have any accountant. They don't want to even engage in this thing. So they actually have like a, at best, what you could call a cash book, right, like a scrap thing. And so in addition to the tight Connect, which is with all these, we actually internalize it to something called a tight Tool. So we say, you can actually on the platform do simplistic accounting. Now the reason why we do this is, they will just not go out and even want to engage with 0 They're just scared of running their own. They want like a cash book equivalent on the platform, highly integrated with all their other services. So we actually give members choice. And it, But in the end, we would probably tend towards the externalization, not because so much the network effect is what we're trying to do is, but we actually believe SMEs you know, to actually maximize lifetime value is we need to give them choice and an SME that today may come to the TIDE platform and do effectively the TIDE tools, so a simplistic way of accounting may over time want to go to uh, you know zero to do their self-accounting or even to an accountant and we want to be make sure we can get these stages of development uh, of an SME covered.
0: Yes I think the, the, the definition is in, in a two-sided marketplace, is about whether those what do you call them tie connectors, whether they're branded or whether they're white labeled, and whether you give the, the the SMEs choice. And it would seem like they're, they're on that branded, definition, then, then it's you're very so, much externalizing. We're handing them off. Right? Yeah.
3: So the the, the the biggest challenge we've got in there is actually not so much our strategy, and this is the actually the, where the real network effect comes in. So when we started off, and I don't want to mention any names here, let's say some of these accounting players had issues, right? Because they saw competitively, we want to own the space and so on. Now they are saying, well, the 120,000, we can't really get past them. We want to be part of that network. And that's why I was saying there's a network effect. And people that a year ago sort of were saying, oh, well, we build all of this, found themselves not being able to generate that volume and are now coming on. That's why I'm saying there is a network effect arising over and above just pure economies of scale. Secondly, we are very open to it because we didn't think about that it would have positive network effects. We're glad to hear that, but we actually think if someone wants zero for their accounting, it is, you know, in TIDE's the member's best long-term interest that you can have connectivity to that. And in that case, clearly, they're choosing TIDE. We would do the same with, the, you know, I don't want to mention too many you know, players that do expense management. We have our own simplistic tools, but we're quite open and we're in discussions with other TIDE connects where we say, look, if you want that one, that is probably more a mid-sized solution, you can connect it to TIDE. And we actually think providing this richness uh, on the platform is a positive thing, rather than very narrow thinking where you say, oh well, by having zero connected where I don't get a monthly transaction fee versus our tool where I charge a monthly, uh, you know, you know, I you know, I minimize customer life. And as a matter of fact, we say the opposite. We actually argue if they stay with us through their entire journey, we actually maximize customer life.
0: Just um, changing tack slightly, I want to talk about the chicken and egg problems. We, again, we, we briefly discussed this on the panel but it's so so the the definition of a network effect is is where the network gets value more valuable with every additional user but the network has no value if it has no users so what's the what are the sort of proven techniques for for overcoming that chicken and egg problem that you've seen that that that, that work and which ones are more difficult to execute in in, in banking so MJ, starting, starting with you.
2: Sure. Um, so the, the two ones that, that we've talked about for me is one is either um, going small first and, and starting um, starting your, um, uh, your 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 company or your business within within a defined uh, geography or a predefined small sector. Um, the I guess the most famous exam- example will be Facebook. So you'll start you'll start at Harvard and then gradually you you you, you exponentially grow from there um uh, the, the the other way uh, that, that we have seen that has, has been successful is is creating a fantastic product so a tool that users want to use and then they will then come back to you and, and kind of multiply themselves and then with every user, uh, you'll, start, you'll start having network effects and, and there, um, to come back to the kind of social networks example, I think Instagram has, has, has proven itself extremely valuable where uh, when they first launched they were the first um, compared to other consumer products to offer the filters for free that people could play with the product, um, fall in love with the product and then grow the user base uh, virally to then start introducing network effects of uh, posting on, on the same network over and over again. Um, where um, i guess where we've seen the, the, those things around um kind of virality and liquidity and creation of that uh, has been uh, a lot in peer to peer in p2p peer uh, particularly with with products like transferize or, or venmo where i think those um, those approaches ha- have worked quite quite well
0: martin what's your strategy for solving the chicken and egg problem is it is it this kind of create a good a great service sort of follow the rabbit strategy where you know you deliver a, I guess in your case, you deliver real cost benefits to banks. And then once you've done that, then you've you've got a critical mass of data to then kickstart the network effects. Or is it more around using the banks to, well, I suppose it's kind of the same thing, but using sort of piggybacking on banks' networks to get there fast?
1: So I think in in our market, there is no opportunity for network effects today because there is no network and there is no uh, homogenous data at scale. So, So the first thing is how do you create momentum and scale? It's only when you've created uh, momentum and scale that you can actually start to look at what the opportunities are for, for network effects. And so, you, you're, you're, for us, we're taking a, a very traditional uh, model to try and create scale in the model, which is we're a, a, a very traditional sort of SaaS enterprise software provider to the banks. Uh, but the way we do it is different, which gives us the opportunity uh, to add uh, you know, additional capability and additional value. Uh, through the banks to the corporates, or bypassing the banks to the corporates. Either model is possible with the way we've, we've delivered the, uh, uh, the platform. But, but the key for us at this stage, we, we don't think too much about, I guess, the detail of what the network effect will be, because if we don't get the momentum and the traction and the skill, we don't get the opportunity to create the network effect. We, we've kind of mapped out what that product strategy looks like and what we think the options are. But we think we're probably two years away from anybody having enough sort of momentum and skill to properly deploy any significant network effects in our particular market.
0: So, so your, your cases are almost like, so I'm pointing at Trade Ledger and Tide, so your case is almost like polar opposites in the sense that you're kind of, you're building for network effects that you think might be two years or more out. And, and in your case, you built a business, and you, you know once you've reached critical mass, it just so happened that network, network effects kicked in. So would, would you argue that you weren't seeking to solve the chicken and egg problem at the beginning? Or would you argue that, that you were and and it, because in your case it seems like a lot of the network effects are coming through what people call consumer evangelism, right? which is the consumers are onboarding other consumers either, I don't know if you offer referrals or whether it's just, you know, just I would genuine. call
3: that, I think I agree with you, I would call that virality, <laughs> right? Yes. So I think there is definitely the way we've seen this is in the beginning, really, we were just trying to build a decent product, right? I mean, and partly to prove product market fit to attract customers. Honestly, the time we're tra- problem we're trying to solve at that stage is sure that we can prove you know to lo- uh, you can save time, and given that we worked in a market that where banks hadn't really understood network effects, so we're not f- competing with any network. No one had network effects, and it sort of worked, right? The next stage of growth was effectively around virality, which really for us is uh, you know is uh, um, referral. And what we've actually learned is there's active referrals, so someone actually going out. And, but actually in small business that doesn't happen that often, but it's the passive referral. So I'm looking for a bank, who do you, I heard of this TIDE, you know, is TIDE actually a good one? So that's what we call a passive referral versus you going out actively saying to all your friends, go to TIDE, right? So we see 50% are active or passive, passive being the bigger one. And that is in a way a sort of a reality. And then what we've seen is really for us, the network effects is really not so much bringing people onto the platform, but once they're on the platform, they get sort of, you know, they get more and more value from from being on it. And we're trying to nature this, and that's probably how we would, if we had to do it again, we would do it. I think the strategy probably has to be different if you have a business that effectively is a network, like a social network, right? or if uh, you know the core part of it is or you actually try to compete in a business that uh, you know it was in a marketplace where that has already strong network effects but we were sort of facing and probably still today in business banking this is not really you know as, as, as established as it might be which is one of the reasons why we see at least on the flow measure the big banks very very rapidly losing i mean we currently open more business current accounts than lloyd's or rbs group right per month on a flow measure and the reason for that is very simple that the, the network effects just don't exist there used to be a degree of virality which really was just brand awareness you would default to the big five right because you just didn't know there was a. But,
0: it's, but it seems to me you could design these are these are like these kind of same-sided network effects or you know social network effects I think are more difficult to achieve in banking than in other industries But I think you still could design them in right so if, I don't know what they might be in your business right but but you know the, this idea that there's more value for another SME to join your platform if they can somehow you know if there's some mechanism you make it easier for, for SMEs to to deal with each other trade with each other you know if there's like if you could net off accounts received so like working capital between two is, SMEs. Yeah, exactly. Or The thing yeah. is,
3: the thing is here you have to understand how strong is the network effect once you're on the platform versus getting them onto the platform. So I'll give you an example, we have various functionality of member-to-member payments. Yeah, that are that's more secure, the that same-sided network effect. Yep. Exactly, that's a good one, yep. but that's on the platform. Now would you join Tide? We live in a world where there's a faster payment system. So, on, you know, basically, what a member-to-member thing gives you is richer information. You can actually pull. There's a sort of sort of direct debit, and it's a great thing once you're in the network. Getting someone to join, yeah, to switch their bank account, uh, um, you know, is harder. When we're, you know, you know, would you do it just for that? No. It's because you would basically do choose it because it's. Uh, you know, of various fundamental attractors, which at this stage I am not convinced whether the, the attractors you know, are, you know, are there. There may be a little bit on the richness of the product offering, um, but it's really once people are on the platform. We, I think every time you're on a platform, often I see this with, um, you know, with, uh, with investors where we have this debate, we, we fundamentally differentiate between the propositions we need that are strong enough to pull people onto the platform and then the propositions that generate the revenue model and the unit economics once you're onto the platform, and it, at least in the SME space, those are two very, very different different challenges. I
0: want to talk about exporting network effects because the, one of the one of the differences if we compare, you know, um, Amazon or Facebook or other platforms is that these these are platforms that are, that can operate across national boundaries very easily, right? Whereas Banking, you still have a lot of regulations that make banking quite domestic market specific, um, and so if we think about two-sided network effects, for example, they're not so easy to to, to, to move across national boundaries, right? Because you've got you know, you've got you've got a network that's of you know in your case SMEs and partners that's quite specific to the UK, which would be you know not so easy to if your next market was Germany to just simply you know. To, to recreate or to, or, to, or to transfer across national boundaries. So, but whereas when I think about Trade Ledger, for example, I could see that's probably an easier market, a business to export across national boundaries because you're providing a data layer that sits across many different types of banks. So it doesn't matter if your customers sit in Australia or the UK because you can still provide a data, a system of intelligence un, that underpins businesses in different national or different jurisdictions. So. Um, Having like, talked about your business, I'm going to ask Evgenia to, to answer that first. So how do you, ha, how much, how, when you think about portfolio companies and companies you invest in, do, do, and you think about ne- this is a business that's where network effects are really important, do you think ahead to how do we make that business then scale across na- national boundaries?
2: Good, the good thing about FinTech is that sometimes you don't have to. Um, in the sense that, uh, with a lot of uh, financial services businesses, you could well be a national champion and still become a multi-billion-dollar business. Yeah. Yeah. So, for a lot of uh, for a lot of the businesses that um, are kind of very um, specific market-driven. That, that can actually be okay. So if you think, um, you know, certain banking um, businesses, um, uh, certain insurance businesses, right? It could be um, uh, a health insurance business, which arguably is, is a very national affair and it can become a very, uh, very big business uh, by being a French champion or an Italian champion, as, as an example. Uh, with others, um, you know, particularly with software, I'd say uh, that, that those are a lot more exportable. Uh, when you start having data network effects, um, you know uh, a natural uh, transition for a lot of those businesses. For in in our case, will be to to go to make them um, or to, to to encourage them to go to the U.S., which is a which is a very uh, very large market. Um, and you know um, there it's uh, it's it's just sort of nailing your your go-to-market really, uh, and uh, that can accelerate you know exponentially very very quickly. So that it, it sort of divide businesses in, in, into different camps. Uh, the one there are more kind of software driven um, which which can be global and universal and the one that i, I believe can be a, um, uh, a national champions or regional champions.
0: and so when you think about national regional champions does that bias you towards investing in companies that are focused on large investing domestic markets,
2: markets? absolutely yeah. yeah yeah so if you think if you think of, of, of again so coming back to the example of iZetel Azedol never went to the U.S., uh, and you know Square is is has fantastic presence there. Uh, both large uh, businesses. Um, Azedol is is a pan-European champion with Latin American presence, and that's enough, right? Um, if you think about Soldo, one of the businesses um, I, I've backed most recently, uh, which is in in spend, in spend management, um, they are targeting 20 million uh, SMEs across across Europe. That's more than enough uh, to become a multi-billion-dollar mammoth. Um, so, you know, will the US be eventually on their um, roadmap? Perhaps, who knows? Uh, arguably, it doesn't have to be.
0: So, um, Oliver, how do you think about exporting your network effects? Because so, we know I you've got agree, international uh, uh, ambitions, but you've so been I, very sort of um, reticent to tell us what they are. So, well,
3: because but, we yeah. haven't decided which country. Because <laughs> one of the things I do agree with absolutely is I think for many fintechs, when you are in a you know in a reasonably large market, you know there is not the immediate urgency, and so what we actually see um, is what worries us is the speed at which we are growing, especially the flow metric. Is we believe. From a regulatory perspective, there's a natural, you know, there's a maximum market share. Which probably in the UK, given that it's been regulatory intervention in the small business market, it's probably somewhere around fifteen to twenty percent. So there's no hard thing, but if I was an investor, and clearly we're all driven with that lens, is at a stage, if you look at our flow market share, you know, you can do the maths and you can say that may, you know, will probably translate into a stock market share at A level. May may I just
0: interject at this point because that idea of, you know, you peak at 15, 20 percent, isn't, isn't that an industrial age sort No, of? no, no, it's the regulator. Oh. So oh, the regulator. The problem is... Yeah. No, no,
3: I absolutely agree. There probably could be, and maybe even with uh, network effects, you know, there we could be a which is actually markets, one right? of the debates yeah. we're having with all the social networks. Should the regulator not start to intervene yes, because yes. you have all of this, right? But we fundamentally believe in financial services. There may be niches where this doesn't apply, but in general, fifteen to twenty percent in any country exposes you to regulatory intervention risk. Right? So that's number one. Number two is, and that's. The second thing is because platforms take a while to build. This is very different to a product vertical that you were talking about, Europe with 20, you know, or Revolut that goes into, you know, 30 markets, 45. These are very effectively, they are single product or simple product centric propositions that very rapidly can go across because all they do is marginal change. If you're a platform like ourselves, it needs to be rich and deep. And so, you know, the markets we look at are really mega markets that could actually each be quite significant, and we will take our time. And the interesting thing, coming back to the network effects that we learning, because I'm out there speaking to quite a few, is the interesting thing is clearly on the member side, so there's there is no network effect, right? However, interesting on the product provider side, there's massive, right? Because they are they look cross-national and where, you know, we would have seen in the UK even twelve months ago, certain people saying we're not looking to speak to you, right? You may become in many of these markets, people are moving very, very quickly to work with us because there, there is a degree of halo effect from the UK. Oh, wow, you know, I want to be there I want to be part of the early one. So there is a degree of transferability across that. There's clearly the whole thing about the technology and the learnings you can transfer, but I'm with you, it's not strong network effects. On the other hand, I would argue that maybe a social network also, I mean, I'm not sure, I've never seen the statistics, but when Facebook came to Europe, how many people were really, you know, both interacting with the U.S., it must have been in the small percentages, right, that have connections to the U.S., right, of the whole European Population, So, you you know, network effects can be built if you're there early. You start in the same way, bringing great product, bringing your learnings. And by just being very good at, you know, articulate you know, going into that and being smart, which I absolutely agree with going to deep accessible markets rather than very, uh, you know, small ones, I think that, you know, good strategies can be built around that.
1: Yeah, look, I, I think um, we've been very explicit about the fact that we're trying to build exportable um, scalable business model uh, with the capability for network effects uh, going forward. Uh, so when you look at, at our business versus uh, like a regulated sort of financial service provider nationally, uh, there's some very, very different um, facts and boundaries around our business. The biggest one being there is nothing to stop us from creating a monopoly. Uh, so, so it's not like a, uh, like a, like a financial service provider. Whether we get to do that depends on you know, the decisions we make about building up the, the business. Uh, a lot of that is to go back to what I said earlier about uh, momentum and scale and the ability to keep creating additional value-add and value-adding services for the participants of the platform um, in, in different regions. Um, now, I- In all probability, it's, it's quite difficult to create a monopoly, but uh, there's certainly economies of scale which will give rise to certain types of net- network effects. So, what'll probably happen is that you'll, you'll fill certain niches and have much more penetration in those, so it'll be almost an effective uh, uh, monopoly if, it's, if, if we execute uh, correctly. Um, so uh, I, I love the fact that we're a technology company. Um, I mean, I, I would never want to be a bank because I, I think that model has so many constraints with it that you have to you know, work within the system, whereas being a technology company, you're completely unbounded. Uh, and you can reimagine completely what what the value proposition in the marketplace looks like. So so we're dealing with, um, I guess sticking to our knitting, which is we understand data, we understand supply chains, we understand uh, enterprise software. So we're trying to see how we actually mash up all of those topics that we have knowledge on to come up with a a completely different way of, of adding value, which is based on digital data at the core of how supply chains work and how financial services get uh, originated and distributed into those supply chains. Um, I think the nature of that sort of um, what we call open innovation means that we don't actually know uh, necessarily what the, the end destination is. We just know how we need to make money and what the next milestones are we need to get through in terms of traction, uh, scalability, et cetera, in order to have the, the right to continue to explore that, that model. What
0: a- Revisit something you said, right? Which is, should the should regulators intervene and break up Facebook? And I want to ask that question from the point of view of, do we like, do we actually think that's necessary, or do we think that that a, so it's a different sort of curve than supply side economies of scale? But do do we believe at some point that network effects peak? And they go into reverse because you could argue that we might be getting to that point a bit with Amazon, for example, right? Because if you go onto Amazon and you want to buy, like I don't know, a colander, you know there are twenty thousand colanders that you could choose from, and it's you know so in the end it becomes too crowded. And if you and if you think about something like Facebook, you know you can lose the customer trust if you don't always act in their interest. And so, so the question is, you know, do we think that in banking? there will be it will be difficult to sustain network effects unless we are very careful about ideas of trust for example and and how do you think about that in the context of your investments or your own businesses so this idea of sustaining network effects and making sure they don't go to reverse
3: so, from my perspective, it's the—I mean—monopolies, or you know, are bad for the economy. I mean, we can go here about theoretically why that is. It just creates different uh, value creation models, right, internally, because a monopolist is a monopolist. and They can act, and as a matter of fact. I always say when we have certain competitors who I should not name here who are also trying to attempt tourism, it's actually the greatest gift that we've got because it keeps us on our toes, right? And I think that's how very much when you look at the breaking open of the business banking market, what the regulator did, right, or the government did by intervening with the BCR, they actually said this does not work for the economy as a whole. And as I think when you look at it at um, from that point of view, you know, I think there's a market reality around that that is proven that it probably is more sensitive in financial services than in other places. But I just would be very, very wary. So I would not bank on it that the regulator—and regulator, yeah, I don't mean the financial regulator. I mean just the, the, political, you know, the political class that deals with, with uh, you know, ensuring that there is sufficient competition. On the network effects, is, I think there can be a thing where they can go into reverse. I'm not sure whether I, I fundamentally have seen it, right? I mean, you could potentially argue, and you're probably better expert on it, I'm going a bit out of my territory, is specialist networks coming in. So by Facebook being so generalist, maybe a LinkedIn was able to emerge because just like I'm, for example, not personally, we decided our f- our children should not be sort of exposed. You know, we don't want to have family folks pictures on that. However, I need to be and I want to be on LinkedIn because it's a specialist network that is very much suited to my thing rather than a generalist network like Facebook that started off and is now trying to branch off into all these specialist e- e- arenas. So there may be a sort of converse effect right from that, but I'm not but sure. Like,
0: so I agree with you. I think there's a tendency to... So unbundle big things, which which I think we might be going through now. But for example, how would you feel about advertising on on Tide? You know, you've got you've got 120,000 SMEs on there. That's a valuable uh, that's a valuable market for advertisers. Would you allow advertising on that? Or do you think that starts to introduce this conflict of interest between you and your own customer that might ultimately weaken some of the... So
3: for us, you know, we are at that level, we wouldn't even think of network effects. We would think of, is it in the interest of TIDE, uh, so in the interest of our members and is it in the interest of TIDE, and in the interest of our members. We always think there's the operating system which we want to have, and we want to. We think the value is there to weave everything together, and then there's the application layer. And we do two things on the application layer. So these are things like advertising for third, third-party uh, products. One is we have a community where we actually, for free at the moment, allow third parties, so some marketing agencies, to you know promote their services and so on. And we also believe that over time we will allow a developer API that basically allows people like inventory management and things that are not really relevant for the platform itself. We call this the ecosystem around the platform uh, to interact with it. However, and maybe that's a scale and prioritization story. You know, for us at this stage, it's not a priority, but strategically, we thought it through and we would be quite open to that.
1: I would add a couple of things to that. I think. In principle, monopolies are bad for society because they lead to concentration of power and ultimately abuse of power. So there's there's a level of, of once you get beyond, that there should be rules and regulations to stop that abuse of power from happening in, in a network. Um, but I also think that um, in the example of, of Tide, there could be different ways you see precipitation of, uh, of, of value creation outside of the, um, um, the network effects that, that Oliver talked about. So for example, with the, the providers to, to, that, that you deal with in those product categories, the way that they deliver services or the services that they actually deliver could be usurped. So I'm thinking specifically around the accounting service uh, providers platforms. Uh, I mean, who wants to pay a monthly fee for accounting um, services platforms? It's actually a relatively simple and utilitarian service to do now. Uh, why can't it be usurped and and uh, uh, subsumed into some other kind of a service and bundled up? yeah
3: so maybe two, two things on that uh, one is actually we can squeeze things around it because we basically we look at profitability across a connectivity chain and that's why we can fundamentally if we wanted to actually beat we can offer services for free. Yep. Because, like, take invoicing as an example. There are providers provide premium invoicing services. We don't need that because we make money on the factoring, right, in the connectivity chain. And because we have the customer, we have no marketing acquisition costs, no overheads to that. We can do that, right? Um, so that's already because it's our members' interest what we do. Now we had a debate that probably goes a little bit towards that: is should we ask product providers to introduce customers to Tide? And we actually took the view as, look, in the end, the platform and the member's address is that it's a rich. So in a narrow sense, you know, we had a lot of investors getting very excited about it. Oliver, your CPA will get a lot lower, right, and you will dominate. But we argued against it because we took the view, and maybe we stand to, to regret it, that it's actually, we will win in the long run by having the best products on the platform. And if there can be reciprocal agreements, we will. Right, but if they don't want to do it, we, and we've seen people change their tracks completely from a year ago, and maybe this is network effects, to now, right, where they still think they can, you know, they will build their own ecosystem. And we say, you do it, do uh, it, uh, do uh, you uh, try your uh, thing, uh, mm-hmm. and then maybe in two years' time we speak again, a- and a bit like what you say, maybe they are, you know, in a degree, some of them will make it.
1: But you, you've yeah. got to, you've got to curate the the, the right yeah. products then within your walled garden network for that to yeah. happen. Uh, and I think th- uh, w- the the point I'm making is that those services that you're creating could actually uh, innovate very, very quickly, and, and even disappear and get subsumed into other models. Yeah. So it's it's the, the I guess how well you create the the product services that you provide within those. Well, regions. actually,
3: one of the yeah. reasons why we don't self-manufacture a lot of products was, in addition to like the obvious early startup things like financial resources and focus. And, I An mean, argument we just raised: forty-four million, right? We have a lot of financial. The main thing is, we actually believe product verticals, now it's hard to tell people that run product verticals this, but they should focus on creating great product vertical focus. Yeah. Especially when you're in the SME sector, your CPAs are so high on the product vertical side, that's actually very hard to run highly you know, profitable business models around. And therefore, we believe they will come around anyway because we cut out the CPA, right, effectively. Uh, however, we do want them to innovate, and we're actually very, very open. You ask about how prescriptive you are. We actually work very collaboratively, with them. we say, look, we actually want you to try new innovations with our members, because we believe a lot of the product-level innovation needs to come from that one. And we just don't, you know, we have between how you cut it between 20 to 50 products on the platform, depending on, you know, is credit one or is it N, right, uh, however you cut it. And we actually want the product verticals partners to actually come with innovative solutions and provide them in the platform rather than us being too prescriptive. So we have a bit of a world garden. But the world garden is really around two things, assuring quality, right, whatever that is, and making sure we can weave everything together through the orchestrated connectivity chains. It's less about stifling competition and innovation.
2: If I, if I may sort of echo this um, in, in terms of product, I couldn't agree more I think uh, great great product ultimately wins. I'd say in the beginning um, it, it can be poor product that can accelerate the network effects you mentioned LinkedIn you might remember monster.com yeah, yeah. so you know that kind of became a, a large business driven by network effects before LinkedIn came and so I think that's actually a case in point of eventually poor product. Falling on its own sword, uh, despite the network effects that that existed there, right? Um, And so, for me, ultimately, um, it's not about sort of internalizing or externalizing. um, You know, ultimately, it's about category dominance. And so, the way that we think about um, opportunities to invest is, is we, we, don't, we don't just look at, at a market that's large. Uh, we we'll look at, at a specific value chain and where a where business positions itself within that value chain because you might be attacking a very large market, you might not be playing in the right part of it. The ones that are the most painful or the ones that has the least amount of competition or the one that really has a sort of lot of, lot of uh, meat to dig your teeth into. Um, and so so far as that, that is critical and once you figure out that part of the value chain, then you define what's critical for you from a product perspective, what it is that you do yourself, uh, what it is that you partner for, and what it will eventually constitute uh, your moat, uh, and you will eventually define your own category.
0: So I have, um, I have one final question, which is um, about valuing companies with network effects, because, because if you think about our traditional tools for valuing companies, like a DCF, for example, you take, a, you take a very low terminal growth rate, right?
2: You, you're, it, you're, you're assuming that there is an EBITDA. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, so how do you... Okay, yeah, okay, okay good, good
0: point. point. So this <laughs> is a multifaceted question, here. right, which is how do, you, how do you value a business that has terrible unit economics, but in theory, once network effects kick in, will have wonderful economics, how do you value a business that's got potentially exponential um, growth characteristics when our tools are not you know, built for exponential growth characters. So, and I think it's, it's, it's I'd like to get all of your views on it because, you know, you're all, I mean, you're investing in companies, you're seeking investment. Um, so, how, how should how should we value companies that have network effects?
2: Yeah. if I may sort of, just sort of a, a, a tiny theoretical point, um, you can have negative EBITDA and great unit economics. So, for me, as an, as an early stage investor, I am conscious that my businesses are not... Uh, profitable no they should be at the stage where I invest or maybe even the stage after or a couple 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 rounds um, after that what we do look um, at in a great amount of of detail is um, unit economics working so at at a unit level um, how is my payback if my payback is not great is my net retention wonderful so it means I'm, I'm overcompensating on the on the existing existing user base so that we will spend a lot of time on I think um, ultimately, uh, I wouldn't say that you necessarily get a huge premium for the network effects. Um, it, it's, more, um, it's more about uh, your, your ability to, to have your cost base being linear, whether it's your revenues exponential. And so whether it's network effects that, that got you there or whether it's your um, virality factors or, or your go-to-market, uh, you know, ultimately the great businesses will get, get the right price tag, regardless of, of, sort of what, what made them get there.
0: But so, but you you said, said that network, um, you don't, you don't get, get a big premium, premium for network, network effects.
2: Not necessarily. Oh, okay, oh,
0: okay, so, so you just okay. okay. Uh, so what do what what you do What I'm saying it, it, is that yeah.
2: ultimately, you know, great great businesses get get great great valuations yeah. and great prices. And it may be network effects that got them, there. it may be economies of scale, okay. it may yep. be virality. Sure. I think what you want to see is, is, is the exponential growth in their users or their revenue and linearity in their in their cost base eventually. I think in an early stage uh, it's not about profitability, I think it's about sustainable unit economics. Uh, and then eventually uh, every business ultimately becomes a financial asset that can can be uh, tradable on, on a stock exchange and face uh, the harshness of the public markets. But typically you got at least 10 years before that happens.
1: So, uh, I think, um, fr- from our perspective, uh, we find this quite interesting o- on the other side. Um, so when we've been raising money, we found that um, the investors we spoke to uh, honestly couldn't give a crap about network effects. Um, all oh, they care about is, 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 is f- financial <laughs> fundamentals and team, yeah. that's it. Exactly. Uh, all they care about is how much money are we currently making, what's our attraction, and how fast are we going to grow uh, our-, our revenue. And when are, we going to, when are we going to make profit? And how are we going to make profit? And do we have a good team? And do we believe you can execute? That's all they care about. Uh, I mean, all the other things we were putting into our story in the early days, we started talking to investors, became superfluous to, to uh, how we actually ended up raising money. It all comes down to the numbers when we were looking for, invest, for investment. People, uh, do they believe it's a big market sector? Um, do they believe people are spending money? Do they believe they'll spend it with us? And are we the,
0: the company that can execute best but the, the bit where I struggle on that is, so I, I get everything you just said, except as, as a potential investor, I guess I'd want to also know when I'm, when I'm mapping out the trajectory of your growth, I want to know is it underpinned by, by network effects. And when I look at the defensibility of your margins, for example, I want to know are they protected by network effects?
2: There, were, there are other ways to, to, to build a defensible business, right? It's, it's, not, sure. it's not just network effects. I think um, uh, I think sort of to, to, to your point, it's more about your whatever it is that constitutes your mode. It's about your ability to execute yep. on it, right? And then it comes down to, to to your team. It comes down to the sophistication of your go-to-market, uh, etc. Right? And so uh, you know there the, are the multiple ways to skin skin the cap.
0: So the doctor, Olivia, <laughs> Oliver, Prill, the doctor should is should drop the thing. Is, by the way, is, is the is stories where is, is the doctors right? on so that, there's
3: another Oliver Prill yep. on linked uh, on LinkedIn. <laughs> That is not very keen on fintech, and so we had to, um, you know, we basically, you know, we did that switch sort of like fifteen years ago, or something like that, or ten years ago. But just to give you my very quick answer to this, so I think people get in 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 our service space very mixed up between short-term steering mechanisms and valuations. So short-term steering, to me, is unit economics. We have a concept that I, because I need that, called structural profitability. So this is adjusting for no growth and no forward-looking investment to have that break-even. Now, as far as valuations are concerned, to be very honest, most VCs value through multiples. And therefore, it's a question of which comparative multiple you do. I personally, because I'm also, let's say, not an insignificant shareholder, I need DCF, right? And to my answer to you, personal answer would be, by the way, I retro-engineer it. So every valuation (laughs) we have, I say, look at our five-year plan and then say, how big does the terminal value need to be to justify that? And, you know, do I sleep safe at night? I can tell you with our current valuation, I can, right? I would argue in the long run, your network effects need to basically reflect in the cash flow. Otherwise, they're not worth anything financially. And the way to look at it is they should basically have, you know, have that. Now, you can argue we WeWork never had that and probably the valuation was way off. Now, with an Uber, the interesting debate to be defensible on it is, is it that they had network effects, but they didn't really properly leverage them, that's why they got correction, or were they actually overvalued by the private market, right? So it's actually an interesting one which way it is. Were they too slow to leverage them or were they actually not valuing them? I think that's an interesting one. Maybe I know that you're running out of time. Maybe an interesting one to do sometime.
0: Yeah, we'd, maybe we'll do a part two on uh, private market valuations versus public market valuations. <laughs> okay, so um, thank you very much for that debate. That was that was excellent. Thank you, thank you for your time.
2: Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you.